All right, I'm tired. Uh, Bart took us on a, on a bit of a death march yesterday, which I guess makes this uh, today's today's topic pretty appropriate. Um, we want to dive a little bit into um, recovery, but not so much from a scientific perspective as more of like a functional perspective, you know, kind of understanding the complexities of recovery more than just like, I'm tired. I'm not going to ride today. You know, is that, is that fair? Yeah, that's, that's pretty fair. It, I think we'll take it from, I'd like to take it from a little different angle than I normally do when I talk about recovery. Yeah. I, I think just make it like a little more digestible, you know, kind of like here are some good, like practical tips on how to manage it. Um, before we do that, we have uh, four write-in questions that we want to jump into. Um, we will try to keep it pretty short on those. They're all really, really good questions that we could do a whole show on. Um, but, but we'll yeah. try to do it rapid fire. Yeah, kind of a li- lightning round. Uh, mostly we're going to hear from Dan on those. And again, uh, as always, if you have questions we want to dive into, I'd like to see more tech questions. We've been getting lots of good questions for Dan. I feel a little left out. Um, please ask um, if you want. We can talk about them from like your perspective. They can also be anonymous if you want. Um, but yeah, as always, eight zero one six seven one five four one two or Joe Draper ninety eight at Gmail. And again, we'll eventually invest in a, you know, an email account. Yeah, we might be able to afford a dedicated Gmail account one yeah. day. Yeah. No, I just forget how to sign into it, so you know that might be a little over our heads. But yeah, jump right in. So to, so to begin with, um, shout out, uh, Don Hanks sent us an email with four amazing questions. Um, one of them, uh, a, a little bit about tech, asking about like te- you know testing like live valve versus not, access versus not. I thought for like two days about how to answer that and just kept coming back to like, it depends on who you are and what the conditions are. I want to dedicate like a, a Tech with Joe episode to that. So we're going to skip over that one for now. Um, but off the bat, this first question here I think is fascinating, and I'm just going to read it as we received it, and then Dan and I will both give our perspectives on this first one. Um, the question is, in the Tour de France, recently I heard Tom Pidcock, who won the Alpe d'Huez stage, like arguably the most prestigious stage of the Tour other than the final on the Champs-Élysées, he said, he, I, I heard Tom Pidcock being interviewed, and he said, I didn't know how far I could go into the red, and I wondered what that meant. He must know his power and heart rate levels, so is he at his limits based on training and just doesn't know how long he can sustain it? Really fascinating question. So what to you, Dan, does this mean, like, from a physiological perspective? Well, going into the red could mean could mean a lot of things. I mean... And I don't know what type of effort he was doing at this point, or did do you know? Is, so like, were, a, there, were there stages? Did he have a race the next day? Yes. Yeah, so races before and after. He's a pretty active rider. He's not really protected. He's not a GC rider for the you know for that team at this point. Um, uh, Alpe d'Huez is also it's a summit finish, so this is coming at the end of a race day. Um, so we're talking about an all out, pretty much an all out effort, dropping one of the best times we've ever seen of Alpe d'Huez at the end of a race, um, at the end of a race day. Um, pretty deep into the tour. I think this was in the third week, if I remember correctly. So if that helps you answer that at all. Okay. And how important was the stage? Was this stage to him? Huge. I mean, like, like prestige-wise, winning on Alpe d'Huez is the most famous climb in the world. I, mm-hmm. I will defend that. I think it's. I think it's bigger than Ventoux. I think it's more dramatic than Ventoux. Um, I would say, as stages go, the second most prestigious tour um, uh, stage of the tour, behind the final sprint on the Champs Elysees. And Tom Pidcock is not a rider who had GC ambitions. So he just threw himself at the stage entirely and dropped uh, four-time tour winner Chris Froome doing it. 
So pretty, pretty darn impressive. Yeah. You know, so kind of a lot of things come into play when you talk about going into the red, or I kind of like the, the phrase going into the cellar, which means you're just really, really digging deep past a lot of pain and go to the cellar, take a ride on the pain train. What are the other ones? I'll know. think of a few more before the end. So, don't worry. Um, and, and, and from a, like what that could mean, what, what's going on in his body could be a whole lot of different things or a combination of a whole lot of different things. I mean, he could be, you know, he could be just running lower on glycogen stores. He could be, um, I mean, a lot of times when we're going that hard, we have a, a a central regulator that that keeps our body from pushing it into dangerous places and we're able to push past that to some point um, you know and, and also I think too um, he might have just known his body well enough to know the you know this is something that's not maintainable and I can if I maintain this pace I'm actually gonna blow up and just be destroyed rather than be able to finish at a respectable rate you know and yeah and, and I think I think practically what he's, he's probably talking about there is Tom Pidcock knows where he fails right like he knows what his heart rate looks like what his power looks like you know so if, if it was me it's like man you know like if I'm holding X amount of power and my heart rate is Y I can go for Z amount of time right and he probably knows in training this is a guy who's trained to failure before right and so tactically in the race he's making a gamble essentially right so at this point, if you go and watch the race, he's ahead. He's got a gap. You know, his, his, neck, his next competitor, he's got a little bit of a gap on. So he has to decide at, in, that, in this point. He's like, I have a few more minutes to go on this. Do I go deeper into the red, extend my gap, but then risk hanging out in this red zone we're talking about where you're not exactly sure where you're going to blow up and your body's just going to stop you, right? Or do I go easier, let my competitor kind of catch up a little bit, but then minimize the risk of going to the red, right? So like as a racer, you might be in these situations where you have to decide, do I continue attacking? Do I continue being aggressive? Or do I hang back a little bit and trust my sprint? Or do I hang back a little bit and then, you know, try to recover a little and, and hope my competitor doesn't use that as an opportunity to come back, right? So as a racer, you're always trying to decide, is it worth it to keep going at this pace or even to like extend my effort here to go even harder at the risk of hanging out in that rough kind of red, I'd call it the red zone more. It's not like a line you cross where you can't sustain this over this point. You might say like, hey, you know, in training I was able to sustain this effort, but like I've never done a, a three-week grand tour before. I don't think Tom Pitcock had done a grand tour before this, right? So lots of unknowns, and it's essentially making that gamble tactically on if you're going to keep going harder, if you need to like, you know, let it up a little bit. You know, or if he's he's borrowing from his performance for the next day you know if exactly yeah and, and again like Tom Pitcock probably his team's like no we want you to win the stage today you can chill tomorrow he's not a GC rider but and the other thing with Pitcock is he's got an amazing sprint and Chris Froome doesn't right like Tom Pitcock's a guy we've seen out sprint Wout Van Aert um, I want to say Brabant Sapel a few years ago but that might be wrong um, but yeah so he's got a good sprint so if I was Tom Pitcock I'm like oh no I'm gonna let Froome catch me and I'll just drop him at the end but he didn't you know he knew like I'm pretty confident I can keep going in the red here at this, you know, sort of pace and I'll, I'll be fine. Um, yeah. So interesting stuff though, to like, you know, think about the kind of tactical and physiological, um, elements there. Uh, the next question I know Dan's really excited for, um, is about fatigue. The question says, I'm interested to know on a cellular level or physically what fatigue is. There's the short term tiredness after a long ride or a hard ride. And then there is the overtraining fatigue. Your thoughts. Okay, well, I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit talking about Tom Pickock earlier, but, you know, fatigue can be just a whole lot of different things. I mean, it can be, I think for us, I would say probably the most common thing we deal with, at least the writers we work with, 
would be low muscle glycogen, you know, which, which a better term for that is just a bonk. You know, if you've ever experienced a bonk, usually that's low muscle glycogen, um, or low blood sugar. Um, fatigue can also be like, like if you're doing like hard, hard efforts, um, you know, if you're accumulating more lactate than your body's able to consume, that'll shut you down. Um, that, that can be another thing. And, but, but also there's like, you, you know, in, in terms of like an over, over training sense, you know, you can be dealing with like chronic muscle damage or, or a, like a, a central fatigue from your nervous system can, can shut your body down. And, um, and even then with like overtraining and so forth, you're kind of dealing with like, you know, too much cortisol or hormone imbalances and, and so forth, which can affect your performance. So you do agree that like, I think the question puts it kind of well, that there is a difference that we use the, the word fatigue or tired, but we're referring to two completely different things at different times, right? Like there's long-term, maybe chronic fatigue mm-hmm. versus there's just like, more acute. like I'm tired because I did a really hard ride yesterday, but you could be tired because I've been doing, you know, races since March and we're coming up on September here and I've been over, you know, so like, do you think, is there a word you prefer to use for short-term tired versus long-term well, yeah, it's, tired? It's more like acute versus chronic. Okay. So like acute, acute fatigue versus chronic fatigue is a useful distinction. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. And again, like, so physically, if you had to sum up, like what is the, what is happening when you are acutely fatigued versus chronically fatigued in your body? Yeah. So like I said, acute relief fatigue refers more to like your, your muscle glycogen, maybe some temporary muscle damage. If you know, if you've done some real hard work that that isn't as typical on with a with a bike as it would be with like other sports um but um because you can you can go farther and do more i feel like on a bike like bikes i mean runners you're going to get muscle damage a lot quicker than cyclists yeah like doms is a bigger deal with like running and other sports than it is with with cycling like the like cycling, you really don't deal with a whole lot of muscle damage, except I've noticed, and this is just from personal experiences, if you cramp, um, that, that tends to do longer term damage to your muscles that makes it a little slower to recover from. Okay. So that, that's actually, that's where, and, and we think this might be worth a whole episode at some point, but I think for now, just know there's a difference between short term, you know, acute fatigue and long term or chronic fatigue. And those are kind of the processes at play. Yeah. And you know, and I, I, we will be talking a lot. I mean, the, today's episode episodes mainly on recovery, so I think we're gonna yeah deal with a lot of this. Yeah, we'll we'll cover it quite a bit. I guess that does fall into the same thing. Um, third question here, this is a really good one, kind of practically, and this kind of harks back to our episode I believe two weeks ago. Um, it says training in general. Uh, the the last podcast I'm getting ready for Nike was great. To summarize, uh, uh, training for a Nike kid who doesn't do nationals and maybe starts with Maybird in March ride mostly aerobic rides from March to August, three to five days a week for about two to four hours a day, take a week off each month. As you get to late August, increase your um, anaerobic workouts, doing two per week, making them hard, making your uh, aerobic rides easier. Is that the gist of it? You know, Don, that's like exactly the gist of it. The (laughs) The only thing I might change a little bit in his wording is he said that you, you make it anaerobic, right? In late August. I think a better term for that would be glycolytic. Um, oh, you'll have to explain. That's that's a big, that's a $5 word, Dan. No. Let's hear it. Well, that just means you're going more above threshold where you're, you know, you're, you're basically introducing more intentional above threshold efforts where you're primarily using glycogen as, as a fuel. Um, when does your body use glycogen as a fuel versus not? 
Well, typically once you get above zone two, you start using glycogen aerobically as, as you produce energy. Once you get above another certain point, you would start to use glycogen without air and that's anaerobic. Um, you really don't spend a whole lot of time truly anaerobic. Most of the time you're using glycogen aerobically. So it's kind of like a car engine mixing gas and air to create combustion versus like um, anaerobic glycogen use is, is, is different. You're just using the glycogen without. Yeah. You know. And we don't really spend a whole lot of time using it that way. It's, it's more of a, you know, we're, we're, we're at an intensity where we're not using fat anymore as a primary source of fuel. Um, but you're still using glycogen with air. And that, that happens more in your kind of threshold VO2 max type ranges. Once you get above that, um, it becomes more anaerobic. But, but okay. yeah, so. So like then just if it is, I'll just kind of repeat this. Um, from Martin, this is again for somebody who's going to do, um, you know, a few, I assume a few ICOs maybe mid week or two, not nationals, but is worried about NICA, which I think is a lot of folks, right? And so the kind of you said like from March to August, try to ride three to five days a week, two to four hours a pop. And then as you get into August, you know, you kind of like increase the intensity lower, you know, like how would you explain like so, the ideal rough calorie? Yeah. So basically, yeah. So the, our last episode, we kind of focused on people that did nationals, how they transitioned from nationals to the NICA season, because there's really not enough time to do a normal training base build peak cycle. You know, if you did nationals, and then right into NICA. There's yeah, then right into NICA. So, so if you didn't do NICA, um, and, you know, and say you started riding in March, you know, until like, and, and if you're not really peaking for another big event, you know, really we, we kind of established that, you know, really towards the end of August is really about the soonest you really want to start focusing on race intensity type training or else you kind of overcook yourself by the time you get to state championships. So... But until then, you know, what you're going to do is just mostly just do a lot of rides, get a lot of volume, a lot of aerobic work. Um, you can do intensity. You can do like, I, I would say at most one above threshold workout or race or hard group right a week, but that's not the focus of your training. That's just kind of, you know, you're okay to throw that in and it's going to help you. It's going to make you faster, but it's not your focus necessarily. So I have a quick question. If you, I'd imagine that either someone listening to this or a NICA coach will have a kid who's like this. What about the kid who's kind of messed up and they haven't ridden very much all season and we're getting to NICA or maybe some starting in July, you got back on the bike, you sort of started again, but you don't have that sort of March through July, August base under your belt. If, if you still want to try to do NICA and stuff came up and you weren't able to get that ideal preparation, should you hit some high intensity work or should you go for more like long rides leading into NICA? What do you think would help that rider who's had that like less than ideal preparation? Which is a lot of riders. And Probably I, most riders, yeah, to be honest. You know, you know, if that's the case, you, you, it, the NICA season's a couple months long and you can make a lot of improvements in a couple months. And my first advice to them is, you, you know what, you might not start out your best, but by the end of the season, you could be so much better than you are right now. Yeah, you you can do just fine. Yeah, you're going to do just fine if you start. Yeah, if you start now, you're going to be fine by the end of the season. And in fact, you might be doing really, really well by the end of the season. Um, If you nail it from here on out. But from here on (laughs) out, you know, you really, you still have to work on your aerobic rides. You still have to do those. Not every ride can be hard. Um, But 
you know, you do that plus two, two high intensity dedicated sessions a week, write a lot, you know, you're, you're, you, yeah, a lot can change in two months. So yeah. So get going. So like, like really quick, just to summarize, would you favor, um, high intensity, try to replicate base or kind of do a mixture of both? It's a polarized approach, really. I mean, that's a, that's a safe science-based good bet really you know to to have the majority of your rides be easy and longer and two of your workouts be intentionally above threshold usually in the form of intervals is best fantastic all right last rapid fire question this comes from uh uh the the legendary bike handler hayden fonger one of my boys shout out to hayden here um he he asks how do you know when you have peaked and what type of training should you be doing when you peak Fantastic question. That's a really good question. Um, how do you know when you peak? It's it's kind of hard to know. It's it's easier to know if you've peaked kind of when you're going down the other side of the peak. Um, otherwise, you don't really know what your peak is. Um, I mean, we'll do a whole entire episode on peaking. Um, I I hope he's not worried that he's already peaked. And, and then do you think that's kind of what he's asking maybe? I don't know. I think it's hard to say. I think most of these kids are probably saying like, I've been doing all the right things. How do I know when I hit this? Cause we talk about peak as if you wake up one morning, like the answer to this would be a, a purple star will appear on your palm when you have peaked. And when it goes away, you're done peaking. Like there's no like clear red, like red light flashing, like congratulations, you have peaked. You know, like you said, it's almost, you're going to be like, Oh wow. Last week I felt amazing. And this week I'm, you know, like, like how do you, so, how do you know? I guess. So, well, so what peaking is to me, is once you start focusing on race intensity fitness, once you get to the point where you have basically accumulated all of that type of fitness your body can handle, I consider that a peak. Um, Once you go past that point, your body really can't handle it as well. So what, what are the indicators though where you're gonna like, oh, I'm peaking? So the, indi- the indicators that you're peaking are just, you know, like awesome performances, really good perceived efforts. You know, like you can you can produce a lot of power in it and it doesn't like do. maybe you finish the ride. and You're like, holy smokes, I had a couple of trophies and a whole bunch of PRs and I didn't even feel like it was, you know, like I wasn't trying for that. And it happened. You know, yeah. You know, like, and there's a difference between just, yeah, you're improving and you're getting faster versus actually peaking. So, um you know, hopefully if you, if you've planned your season right and you've distributed your intensity correctly, hopefully you don't actually peak until you're getting close to your A event of the season. Um, a lot of people, I'm using air quotes, kind of peak early. And, you know, if you do feel like you're peaking early, you know, if you feel like you're peaking at the beginning of the NICA season, um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually pretty difficult to, to manage your training from that point on. A lot of it, the, a lot of it's just going to be, if you do feel like you have peaked, just racing and recovering is going to be your priority. Just, yeah. If you feel like, Oh, I felt amazing at race number one and race number two, I didn't feel quite as good. And you're kind of worried like, Oh shoot, did I hit my peak over race one? Like, what do you do? Yeah. Then it's just, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do other than just trying to maintain it as long as you can, which normally peaks are only maintained for a couple of weeks. If that, um, 
you know, if it was happening this early, you might want to take a week off just to reset, lose a little bit of fitness that you start to build back. I think that's probably the best bet if you think you're peaking at this point. And when he says two uh, weeks, like I so, mean that, like really quick to jump in, like like we just finished the tour and there are a whole bunch of riders that don't look good in the first week of the tour and people say, no, hang on, they could be trying to peak in week two or three. You know, like really truly, it is not a huge, you're not going to be peaked for a month and a half, right? No. No, so... um you know, hopefully, and, and I think this writer might have done nationals. Um, you know, hopefully, he took as as we recommend take that good solid seven to nine days off after to to lose some fitness. Have it be your mid season break. You go back to base for a while, and then you start to build. No, the riders that do that that did nationals that took the time off they're not feeling their best right now. Um, they're going to, you know, they should feel a little rusty and a little bit crappy. And I've actually talked to quite a few of them that are kind of like, kind of a little worried. I'm like, you know what? Just be patient. Your fitness, it's going to come back. You're going to, you're trying to repeak for, we purposely lost some of that awesome race fitness because you can't maintain it forever. We purposely had you lose some of that. And, you know, you've got a couple months to build it back and hopefully peak again and peak stronger than you did initially. So, yeah. So, and then, and I guess the last question is like, um, when you're at your peak, what do you do? Yeah. When you're at your peak, you just enjoy it, you know, yeah. cause like, it's I not going to, yeah. but if you do think you're peaking early in the season and well, we're going to have a whole episode on tapering and peaking. Um, but, but once you've hit your peak, if you've truly hit your peak, that means in theory that you really can't get any more fitness, especially race specific intensity fitness than you've got and continue to push past that point is really just going to cause problems. You know, it's, it's basically like, um, people say that, you know, peaking is kind of the beginning of overtraining. And a lot of times you really want to keep pushing at that point because you're just feeling awesome. But it's kind of like the guy at the blackjack tables in Vegas where you've been winning and winning and winning and then you stop winning and then you start betting more money, right? Like, you know, when you're training, like, and, and the, the kind of sad truth is you're not going to know when you've hit your peak until you're kind of past. I think you'd be like, I'm getting better, I'm getting better, I'm getting better. And then, you've, you, and then you're not, right? Yeah. And at that point, it is a mistake to try to, you know, dig really deep to chase what you had a week or two ago. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it'd be hard to gain more fitness on. But if you do think that you peak early during the NICA season, and like I say, hopefully good planning, a good periodization will prevent that. But let's say you do feel like you have peaked early. The, the key is just going to be racing and recovering, just making sure recovery is a, is a even bigger priority. Um, you might take like a recovery week during your race season to, to reset a little bit, but, um, but don't be tempted to, to work harder and try to gain more fitness if you truly think you have already peaked early. So. It's not a solvable problem. Play it strategic. You know, if you're like, dang, it's it's race two and I'm at my peak, right? Go win race two. Grab the points while you can. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. If you're peaking, like, go just, yeah, go Make enjoy. an impression. Yeah. Make an impression. Scare people. And then, just, and then just know mentally that, like, races three, four, five, I probably won't be. But you could be fine if you do get some, you're just going to need a little more rest. 
even though the temptation will be more work. And a lot of you, like, you might think, oh, dang, it's race two and I'm peaking. You might not be at your peak yet because you're young and you're new to this and you might just have a really high ceiling. And, and that's why I said a lot of people don't really know that you're peaking until you're coming down the other side. Yeah. So look, I, I'd say so, look for indicators of coming down the other yeah, side. Yeah, just because you're getting faster doesn't mean you're peaking. Yeah. So uh, rapid fire, I think we're going to jump right into recovery now. Um, uh, you know, don't want to take all of your time this week. Um, but yeah, this is, this is kind of the, I think, you know, you used the comparison one time, like, you know, training is writing checks and recovery is cashing them. Is that, did I properly well, attribute that to you? Or is that, that's, no, kind of, that's above your head. You couldn't have come up. That's way too good for you to come up well, with, right? Yeah. What's well, a check? <laughs> no, like, no, like, you know, training's like going to work and, and recovery is like picking up your paycheck, you know, and a lot of people go to work without ever picking up their paycheck. So. I think I just fundamentally misunderstood how checks work because I said you write one to yourself and then cash it. So I was born in 1999. For those of you who don't know, and despite working at a bank for a long time, I don't actually, I've never used a check. So if we can come up with like a fun Venmo oriented sort of like, you know, trading analogy for this, we will. Um, but again, to, to all of my people who were born before It's the like 1990s, someone sending you a Venmo and you declining it. There you, oh, okay. you just came up with that? I actually did, yeah. Okay, we're gonna go to the we're gonna go to the trademark office. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, back from the trademark office now. Let's talk about recovery, Dan. Okay, so um, so why don't you start by asking me why recovery is important? Okay, hang on, hang on, ready, ready, ready. Dan, why is recovery important? Okay, I was hoping you'd ask actually. Well, it's your lucky day because I just did. <laughs> Okay, so just, you know, and I was just thinking about this while I was driving the other day because I wasn't thinking about driving. But um, what if you went, say I pay, I offered you a million dollars. Yes. I, I could write a check. Okay. Okay, a million dollars to go ride your bike for an entire week without stopping for, without stopping for anything. Just your entire week, just ride it without sleeping, without, I mean, what would happen? It's like a stupid question, right? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd be Bo Foreman, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, I'd say yes, and then probably die somewhere around Wednesday afternoon. It'd be terrible, right? Yeah, like yeah. all kinds of bad things It's would probably not possible. And like a darker analogy, like put a gun to my head, tell me to ride for a week, I'm not going to be able to do it. Yeah. You know, like that is impossible. So what if I told you to do the same thing, but I would let you sleep at night, every night during that week? Would I'd, that help? I'd do it for like 300 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah that'd 100%. make it possible, Very right? doable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of an extreme, like if you work too much without recovering, obviously terrible things are going to happen. It's not going to make you better. It's not going to make you faster. Um, so, so training and, and one of my favorite phrases, and I hope I say this enough that it really sticks in your head is when you're training hard, you're finding your limits and you're pushing them. But when you do that, it actually does damage to your body. And our bodies are just so amazing that when our bodies get damaged, what does our body do? It repairs itself. But if it's repeated damage, it repairs itself better than it was before, um, which is which is super, super cool. So that way, next time you're you face that same level of stress, your body is upgraded and it's more ready to. Yeah, so like you've got a seawall in front of your house and it's six feet tall and the waves knock it over. Next time you build it up six and a half feet tall, waves knock it over. You're going to build it up seven feet tall, right? Oh, yeah. That's um, good... See, there you go. I did can come you, up with good enough. Did you make that up just right here? No, I just Googled that, Dan. Oh. Yeah, it was the first result that popped up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had to go to page nine for that one. 
you know, but the body can't repair itself while you're doing damage to it. You have to like get away from the, the destructive damage that you're inflicting on your body. You have to take a little break from it and then allow your body to repair itself. And then when it does it, and if you give it enough time, it, it comes out a better, stronger, faster version of it. So, um, so really, you know, a lot of people like think that we recover so we can do more workouts, but it's really the opposite. We work out so we can recover. That's when we're really picking up the paycheck from doing the work that we've done. Accepting the Venmo. For Accepting the Venmo folks. that you guys don't know. What, a lot of these kids probably don't even know what a paycheck is because it just gets direct deposited. No, I have never received a physical paycheck. Really? Yeah, I was born in 1999, never received a physical paycheck. Okay. Yeah. Which explains why you're not very good at recovery either, huh? There we go. I thought that you could say explains why you still live at home. That would have been way <laughs> funnier, Dan, but it's okay. Can we edit and I'll say that? No, no, okay. we can't. Carry on. All right. So, so Joe, um, what if... Um, so what if you were so good at recovering that your recovery was so good that you could handle your absolute maximum amount of training stress? What do you think would happen? I I think I'd be a professional cyclist, (laughs) I, I guess. Like that's kind of the golden ticket, isn't it? Right? Like if you get to that point that is it right like that's like the ideal set of conditions yeah that's i mean and that right there is like the whole essence of coaching yourself is in 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 ideal circumstances is to be able to have such good recovery that you could handle amazing amounts of training stress because like um i mean the pros the amount of training that they do the amount of miles the amount of hours that they do it's it's really insane and it would destroy all of us if we just started to do what they do because one, they've kind of built up to that and two, they've got bodies that can frankly handle and adapt to training stress better than ours might be able to. And three, they also have time and means to take the recovery to so much more serious than any of us ever do. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause the thing is like the bummer is, is for you guys listening, like, you go and do a really hard ride and then you do a recovery day, but on your recovery day, you're scheduled to work. So you're on your, your, your feet for eight hours at the bike shop, right? Like that is the luxury of being a professional cyclist is that you have the ability to actually truly rest. And I think that is really for the most part, what I think a lot of people are willing to work really hard, but not all of us have the, the, the kind of circumstances in our lives where we can recover properly, if that's fair. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to a point. And if, when you guys forget everything from this podcast, I do want you to remember one thing that Dan and I love you. That we love you. Just kidding. No. No. Actually, we do. But some of you. So, recovery is so much more than just taking time off the bike or just taking time off. That's a huge part of it, but it's not all of it. And I think a lot of people just think recovery is just skipping a day of riding and then that counts as recovery. And it's an important part, but it really is just a sm- just part of it. Um, Let me pause in a jarring way to repeat that, because that's what you're supposed to remember. Recovery is more than just the absence of bike riding. Write it down on your forehead okay. right now. All right. Pop Re- quiz. What is recovery? Is it is it just not riding your bike? Oh, joke. Oh, I forgot. It's because I didn't ride it on my forehead. Okay. Let me grab a Sharpie. I'll be right back. So, 
That wasn't planned, by the way. That was just a fun little bit of banter. We're getting better at that. I don't think it was that fun. I think it was pretty fun, Dan. Carry on. Okay. So picture, you know those scales, like the old, like the ones that they have on like law firm logos. Like and Justice stuff. is blind. Like, the yeah. lady's holding out the scales. The yeah. Scale. Okay. So when you're when you're thinking of your training, you think of a scale, and on one side of the scale, you're putting your training stress. Okay. And you can actually pile quite a bit of training stress on that side of the scale if your other side of the scale has recovery that can, that can handle that training stress. Now, I know a lot of people that can, and, you know, and, and if that scale ever gets out of balance too far one way or the other, you know, it, you know if you have way too much recovery and not enough training stress, you know, you're not going to be as fast as you could potentially be, you know, but if you have way too much training stress for the quality of your recovery, that is getting you on the road to overtraining and overcooking yourself. And, and it's interesting because like there's people that, that can have that scale be off balance with only training two days a week if the other side of the scale has like they're drinking, they're partying, they're staying up till 3am, you know, yeah, like they're like on their feet all day, living on pizza and Red Bull. Yeah. You know, you could, that, that scale could be off balance, even though you're doing very, very little training. But on the other hand, you could have like a professional athlete that just has insane amounts of training stress, but their nutrition, their, um, their sleep, their diet, their, their stress levels, their meditation, all they're doing all these things, um, to be able to balance that out. So they're able to, to absorb all this training stress, much more training stress than most people and still remain in balance. And really quick, um, well, you check your notes there. Um, a <laughs> little, you know, fun little back behind the scenes here while Dan frantically scrolls through his iPhone. Well, it keeps like turning off and I keep having to like face ID and so I'm just not using it anymore. Trying to do face ID in a dark van in the driveway. Anyway, uh, while you're looking for that, uh, professional cyclist, uh, by the name of Casper Askren races for quick step. One of the strongest bike riders on the planet, winner of the tour of Flanders just announced that he is bringing his season to an early end because he has chronic fatigue syndrome. And, and I essentially, you know, from reading about that, it, it's basically that you've tried to do so much training without proper recovery for long enough that your body physiologically cannot properly respond to the training stimulus that you're introducing. So, like, that's an extreme example. None of you will ever get there. But the principle stands, right, that, like, if you are not recovering, it doesn't matter how hard you're working, right? And if you're not working hard, it doesn't matter recovery either. But, like, if you're working hard and not recovering... It's, it's a wash. It doesn't matter, right? Like over the long term, at least. So let me ask you a question, Joe. Um, oh, that's a dangerous, you know, hit me. Okay. On a scale of one to 10, how important is recovery? <sighs> that's actually, because I want to say 10, but like. Well, because that would be obvious, right? Yeah, because, because you can't just recover your way. I would say um, it's a five and training's a five. I, I think they're equally important. Is that a good, profound way to answer your question? Truthfully, I have no idea what number you're looking for. I think it's not one. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I have Training no clue. or recovery is not one. Somebody no. accused me of being too scripted. You know what? Show. Uh, yeah. You have no idea how not true that is. Like, so I'm kind of scripted. Joe is zero scripted. I, am, I don't know. 
I don't know if you can tell. Um, <laughs> I could be more unscripted if people want. Let me know. Let us know in the comments. We might lose like our, and subscribe. We might lose our clean rating. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No. Just we're, kidding. We'll get That's there. Don't true. worry. We'll graduate to that around no, episode twenty-five. Okay. But what was it? oh yeah. So on a scale of one to ten, mm-hmm. how important is recovery? I, I don't know it, the answer. So to that. the answer is it really depends. That's cheating. That's not a number. It no, depends isn't a number. It absolutely is a number because if if training is a 10 to you, then recovery needs to be a 10. And if training is a, a 5 to you, then your recovery only needs to be a 5. Hang on. You're, wait, we're, so in, in one set of circumstances, we can go over 10 and the other we can. We're going to like define the parameters of this analogy really quick and get back no, to so, it. You guys so, get the point. This okay. is really torture, Dan. We can move on from this. Yeah. So so for some people, the, their, their training is a 10. Recovery also needs to be a 10. Um, you know, and so like, you know, say you've got like a rider that that's only going to maybe one, sometimes two of their Nike rides a week. Uh, you know, this rider probably recovery isn't their biggest priority necessarily. They're, they're not at risk of over. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, but they're also not at risk at being their fastest either. So, but you know, if you've got like a, a Tate and Isaac, a Joe Cochran, a Xander, the twins, you know, those guys, they train very, very seriously. They follow their very dedicated training plans. They train most days recover for these guys. Recovery for these guys is absolutely essential especially if they're using kenda tires no joke i might i might go to kenda i've actually crashed <laughs> three times in the last four days and i'm thinking using an, a, a tire brand that starts with m that will be will remain unnamed so i might even try kenda. i'd like to clarify i've tested 10 kenda tires they're great this is a little fun it's little just a joke between joe but i'm just saying joe that. i've crashed three times on my tires <laughs> what if we get like a cease and desist from kenda <laughs> like, i might try them because i'm sick of crashing okay. but anyhow um you know, so you get you get your riders that, you know, these riders like that are training that hard recovery. They need to take it very very seriously, and they do. Um, oh, they a hundred. I we I know they do. Yeah. And you know how you know they do because they're fast because they're faster than you. You know, like um, th- these guys. And and I am a good example. I think of somebody who trained ridiculously hard when I was in high school, and just chronically under recovered. You know, I I was you looking back, it was hilarious. You know how much I under recovered and how how much it hurt me. So like, well, you know, and and I'm perf I'm personally a really good example of what happens if you don't recover enough because, so like, my weeks are pretty much the same year round. My like every day I have about the same amount of time to train. I always have a little bit of time in the evening, and you know one day on the weekend to, to ride. And I just really, really love riding, and I, I rare and, and and I'm the king of like do as I say, not as I do. Like I, I never take recovery weeks. I rarely take recovery rides. I do have. I usually take like a, I'll take like Friday and Sunday off. Um, we should rename this like the hypocritical training podcast or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, but. Dan and I are in a race I, against fat. How about that? Yeah, we're, like, exactly. you know, we're, yeah we're, we're not you know, winning anything. So I really, you know, I ride a lot. I train a lot, but I really don't do recovery right. And, you know, it's it, I'm not as fast as I could be if I did. I, I'm the first to admit that. I mean, I just, you know, so. I gotta, you got to check the notes again here. I, I just again. forgot what I was going to say. But anyhow. It probably wasn't important. Don't worry. It, it probably wasn't. So. So I'm yeah, guessing it was something along the lines of recovery is important. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> Whoa, so, twenty points for Joe. 
Okay. So I'm going to break recovery into three different categories. There's, there's three different types of recovery. Okay. And, and I think this is kind of a cool thought and it's, it's something I've never really thought of this way before, but, um, so the first type of recovery is so you can perform better. So you can do your workouts better. So you can, um, be fresh for races. So this type of recovery is like, you know, like, you know how we have like your recovery days and your recovery weeks. I would say this is like your recovery day where, you know, you take like Monday off so you can do awesome intervals on Tuesday. So that's recovery to, to help you perform and do better work to, to, to handle more work. Um, I would say like Normatec boots, foam rolling, um, extra hour or two of sleep. Like yeah. Like taking naps, protein rich meal, um, and fueling fueling is another one. I'm good at that one. That, um, that really helps it so you can, you can perform better and you can do better work. So, so that's the example of, of recovery. So you can perform, so you can, you can push your limits farther. Type one recovery. Type one recovery. So the second type, and I'm actually pretty good at type one recovery. You know, I, I take, Congratulations. I take a couple of days off. I foam roll, I stretch, I fuel. I'm really good at that type of recovery. Your trophy will arrive in two to five business days. Okay, thank you. The second type of recovery is, is to adapt. Now there's a difference between recovery and adaptation. So, um, you know, recovery kind of just makes it so you're able to do work again. Adaptation is where you actually, your body actually makes changes and gets faster and improves And they're They're not necessarily the same thing. They don't necessarily happen on the same, on the same timeline, but the recovery to adapt, um, is, is a little bit different. I, I would say the first and most important thing is going to be time and like all the foam rolling and, and all the Normatec boots and all the protein shakes or whatever in the world. I don't know that they actually really speed it up. I think those things just make it so you can, you can handle more workload, but they don't necessarily speed up the adaptations. But the things that do help you, the, the type of recovery that does help you adapt is, is one, just time, being patient, knowing that these things take time and they're gradual. Um, the, the second one are the recovery weeks. The, the adaptations actually take um, time for your body to lose a lot of the chemicals that, that your body creates while you're doing hard workouts. It takes a lot of time to, um, you just need more time to do that deep healing and the, the healing that actually makes you make improvements and be better. Um, you know, another one that helps the second type of recovery is, is sleep is the hugest one. Sleep is sleep is really where most of your recovery is going to happen. I heard somewhere the other day that we recover three times faster while we're asleep. And I don't know if that was bro science or not, but it, it sounds right. You know, I mean, we do recover so much faster when we're asleep, especially if we're getting quality deep sleep and REM sleep and we're getting lots of it. Um, and, and then the other one that really helps with the adaptations is nutrition 
you know, an analogy I was thinking of since we're so into analogies today. This is like the 10th analogy of the show. So yeah, we'll have like a quiz later on in all our analogies. This one won't be the best one, but like, say you're building a house. Which one was? Okay. Sorry, that was mean. Carry on. Say you're building, like you're building a house and you get like all the nicest tile and nicest stone and nicest brick and nicest hardwoods and nicest plumbing fixtures you know, you're probably going to build like a really nice, awesome home as opposed to someone that's going to just get all the cheapest, you know, the cheapest hardware store stuff they can find. And that's kind of like nutrition, you know, nutrition is, is like, you know, we're, we're, it's basically the building blocks we're repairing our bodies with and rebuilding them with when we're recovering. And, you know, if we're using quality ingredients, quality food, quality fuel, we're going to have better results, better ingredients, better training, Papa Mabers. <laughs> that was a stretch. I'm sorry. It's like 9 PM and I'm in a hot van in a driveway. I'm just, I'm trying to survive here. Carry on with your point. Okay. So, um, and then the third type of recovery and is, is just intensity distribution, which we're going to do an entire podcast on. But I, I think this is something that, you know, like I gave the example before about the rider that only rode twice a week, but still was out of balance. And, you know, intensity distribution is a huge part of, I mean, basically will prevent a lot of the same problems that, that good recovery does. You know, if you're just trying to go your absolute hardest every single day, you are, you're going to be off balance. Okay. So those are the three different types of recovery to keep in mind. Now, most of the people listening right now are just kind of beginning the Nike race season. And, um, so as, as I kind of mentioned before, we can't, you know, unless you really need it, unless you feel like you need it, you're probably not going to have the luxury of recovery weeks from now on. And we talked about getting your recovery leading into races and then making sure you're recovered sufficiently after races. And hopefully this will be enough recovery that you can still continue to improve and, and that you're not going to overcook yourself. And it's, it's so much up to you to listen to your body, to know if you are getting sufficient recovery or not. So, um, I just wanted to talk real quick about, um, just how to recover between Nike races. Okay. And, and so as a reminder, like if, if you're not familiar with Nike, you basically have every other weekend. Yeah. Um, every other fall, weekend, which makes it really, really tricky. That's kind of a weird interval to be working with, you know, cause it would be one thing if they were a month apart or if they were a week apart, but there's basically two weeks between each Nike race. So like, what would be your recommendation? Let's say I've just finished race number one. What do I do in the days leading up to race number two? So well, let's, let's back up a little bit. And your recovery for your race begins really with the race before. Okay. So say, say you're in the race right now, you're at a race. What you do during that race is actually going to help you prepare for the next race. Um, so the first thing you need to do is you need to warm up and cool down. Okay. If you warm up and cool down, that's going to help you. That just helps you recover quicker. It helps you feel better. Okay, so the second thing during the race is you fuel and hydrate really, really well. Um, 
and we're going to talk more about fueling soon, but you need to make sure that you are taking in as many carbs and as much fluid as you can really throughout the race. You just, when you, when you finish a race or a hard ride or whatever, after you fueled well, you just feel so much better after and you recover so much faster. And, and like the essential message here is like, don't go into a Nike race and not warm up and then not fuel and race and you're destroyed and then just go straight from the finish line back to the tent and sit down. Like that you're basically, you're, you're, you're putting yourself in the hole recovery wise for that next race. You know, like if you want to do that States fine, but like, don't do that at race one, two, three, and four, you know, cause that will do you a disservice in terms of your ability to be able to come back for those, uh, for the remainder of the races. And so after the race, just like this is number three. So after the race, just like in, after any hard ride, you're going to want to get your, your carbs and a little bit of protein as soon as you can. Basically your recovery chocolate milk for lack of a better term. Um, you get that just immediately after the race or workout as soon as you can. Um, shortly after that then is you want a healthy meal that has lots of healthy fibers, vegetables, protein, and so forth. So, so just to clarify, you want a healthy meal with healthy stuff in it. Yeah. So as opposed to like a healthy meal with bad stuff in it. Yeah. These are these are the important distinctions. Yeah. This this is why you listen, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, but you right. do that like an hour or two or as soon as you can after after the race to just start replenishing all that all that that you use during the race. So. Never been a problem for me. I understand it's a problem with some other people, but you know, you know, tell me to eat and I say how much, you know. Okay. <laughs> so those first few things, it's things you do at the race before that help you get ready for the next race. That just make it so rather than taking like just one or two days to, rec you know, or rather than taking like four or five days to recover, I think doing those few things will help you be ready to start hard workouts again and maybe two at three days most kind of thing. Um, so this is a huge one is during, during the race season, just try and get an extra hour of sleep. Make sure your room is dark. It's cold. You're not playing with your phone before you go to bed. You're, you're not, you're relaxing before you go to bed. So you, you don't have a lot of stress. Just have good sleep hygiene. Um, if you can get better sleep, you're going to recover a lot faster and Pro get better adaptations. Probably the biggest one that people this age mess up on, I, I think. Like, oh, definitely for me. It's the know. easiest and cheapest way to get faster. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of true. Yeah. This is the big secret the bike industry doesn't want you to know, you know. Yeah. The new Venge is 12% more aero, but you were out till 3 a.m. last night, so it doesn't matter, you know. Exactly. So. I'm out of the bike industry now. I don't know if you guys can tell I can say that. So you get the extra hour of sleep. Um, obviously you're not, you're going to want to have a recovery day on Sunday. Um, and on Monday I would do an easy ride and I, I kind of like the rides by feel where you kind of go out, you start out easy and, and you just see how you feel just to kind of see how you're doing. But I would keep it short, easy. This isn't a workout. It's mostly just to help you be ready to train again soon. So kind of gauge where you're at, too. just kind of gauge yeah. where you're at, but you don't, cause after race four, you might go out on the Monday and be like, Oh, I need another day. You know, like yeah. you, you, there's a possible, and you know, so like I would say use that as kind of a litmus test to decide, you know, what you're going to do for the remainder of the kind of two week break. And then, and then I think at soonest on Tuesday, you might be ready to do another hard interval type workout. 
Um, but I, th- I think a good rule here is to, to, to start the workout, test it out, maybe do two or three efforts. And usually by then you can tell if today's your day or not. And if you start to do the efforts on Tuesday and it's just a, you're just feeling a lot more pain versus the amount of power that you're putting out. Today is not your day and you just needed another recovery day. And that's not a big deal at all. You just, instead of doing that interval workout, you do an easy, easy recovery ride until you start to feel better and then try again on Wednesday. Um, pushing through intervals, if it's the wrong day, is probably just going to be counterproductive and probably just prolong the amount of recovery you're going to need. Um, yeah, and occasionally, who knows, you might have really, really gone into the red, gone into the cellar on your race and you might need more. And it, n- nobody can tell you other than yourself how much time you need. You really need to pay attention. I mean, just because your coach tells you you're ready to go on Tuesday doesn't necessarily, just because your training plan says you're ready to go on Tuesday, that doesn't necessarily mean you're ready to go, right? And and one thing I'd, I'd also throw out there is like, I, I don't think this is a sport that you're going to be well served by like looking at quotes about inspiration on Instagram. Like this is the, the answer is not always going to be just push through it. You know, like the, 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 the smartest cyclists are the ones who train intelligently or the fastest cyclists, you know, like if, if it's Tuesday after race number three or four and you try to put in some efforts and it just feels wrong and bad and effort two is just catastrophically difficult, you are not you know, it's not a good idea to just keep pushing through. Be smart. And it's, it's amazing. A difference a day can make. Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. If you're not feeling it today, it's fine. You'll probably feel it tomorrow. Don't do not panic. It is, it is okay. Just, you know, spin, spin easy back to the car and rest. So, so yeah, that's, that's just kind of how you race and recover between your Nike races. Um, leading up to the race, again, as we said before, you know, usually the kind of the rule of thumb is leading up to a race is you can kind of do normal workouts until Wednesday on Thursday, do a recovery ride just to kind of reset, get feeling better, focus on nutrition, sleep, and so forth. And then Friday, do a few openers, race Saturday. So you're getting a little bit of recovery before, a little bit of recovery after. Hopefully that's enough to keep you in balance during this period of time. If for some reason you ever start to feel like you're out of balance and you're just fatigued and moody, not sleeping, not feeling well, not like you're getting worse, um, you know, that's when you need to talk to a coach and, and maybe you might need to add just a little extra recovery in. It's, you know, a little extra recovery is not ever going to hurt you, especially if you've done the work all season long. A little extra recovery never hurts anybody. Um, usually we're dealing with the personality types that will tend to under recover, not over recover. You know, like if you're listening to this, if you've been training hard all year, you're almost certainly not at risk of, of, you know, like flipping too far to the side of the scale there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat that. Like you can recover more. You'll be okay. And, and as a rule, you know, as a coach, you would really rather have your athlete slightly under peaked rather than slightly over. You know, you'd, you'd rather err on the side of too much recovery rather than one, an, one workout that was just too much that kind of pushed them over the edge a little bit. Yeah. So again, just, I, I think be intelligent and listen to your body and use common sense as, as always. Um, but yeah, like 
again, we're dealing with the personality types where if anything, you will under recover. Do not under recover. It will not serve you well. You know, like it might feel like the harder I work, the better, you know, push through this, this really hard interval set on the Tuesday after a race and I feel awful. Like that is not, you know, your willpower is not going to translate into a race result there. Being smart is going to translate into a race result there. So just in closing, just remember that recovery, if you've done the work, recovery only makes you faster. But recovery is more than just taking time off the bike. Um, recovery is like re- like recovery rides, first of all. We, we kind of really didn't talk about, we didn't really talk much about like a recovery ride or how to do a recovery week. We'll probably go over that later. Um, but if you have a recovery ride, it should be embarrassingly easy. So there's a difference between, there's a difference between like a, obviously a hard workout an easy workout and then a recovery ride. So we do hard workouts, which I usually refer to those as like above threshold workouts. And then there's the easy workouts, which are really just like aerobic workouts, which are usually longer and recovery rides are just in a class of their own. Not only are they easier than an endurance pace ride, they're also way shorter. Like they should maybe be an hour at the longest. And they cannot happen on Rattlesnake Gulch or at Snowbird or on Zen. Like, or they should probably... They can't even happen to Armstrong. Like, I personally like to do my recovery rides on Zwift. Yep. I lock my... I watch something on YouTube. I lock myself into a real... Like, into like 100 watts. And I just spin out the legs. It flushes lymph out of my system. It makes... Increases circulation. It does lots of good things. It doesn't train me. It doesn't... I'm not trying to push any, you know, I'm not trying to burn calories. Spin around the neighborhood. Spin, yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do you don't, I was such a joker in high school with the things I called recovery rides. It was hilarious. Well, and it, it, I, like I jokes, like the, the kids come to like high school rides and they say they're doing a recovery ride. And I'm like, no, you're it's not. It's impossible. It's impossible. It is in the physical universe that yeah. we occupy. It, it might be an easy do. ride, but it's not a recovery ride. No. And You know, so there's that. And then also just remember recovery is so much more than taking a day off your nutrition, your sleep, your, your ability to relax and to meditate and to turn your mind off. And all these things help balance that scale. And the better you are at your sleep, your nutrition, your, um, your stretching, your, your easy rides, the better you become at those things, staying off your feet, the better you become at those things, the more you can put on the other side of that scale, which is training stress. And the more training stress you're able to handle because of your recovery, the faster you'll get. So, Preach. Preach, Brother Dan. All right, as always, if you have questions, uh, email is joedraper98 at gmail. Uh, also shoot me a text, and uh, we'll do our best to jump into them. But yeah, uh, recover, uh, train hard, recover harder, win races. Sounds good. Woo! I should try it. Ha! <laughs>